Hello and welcome to another episode of Panchayat. A few months ago, during India's tour of Australia, I came across a Twitter handle that if archived can be converted into a cricket history textbook or an encyclopedia. You will find threads on this Twitter account telling fascinating stories about individuals from the cricketing world. What's more fascinating is the series of statistical data accompanying these stories analyzed in a way that make them even more compelling. Please welcome on the show today, owner of that Twitter account, cricket historian and statistician, former chief editor of Cricket Country, former assistant editor at Wisden India Almanac, and co-author of the book Sachin and Azhar at Cape Town, Abhishek Mukherjee. Hey Abhishek, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Yeah, what, what an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you. So before before we start talking cricket, a very important question. Why aren't you on Instagram? I don't click photos. I don't know. I rarely click photos. What about what about those amazing stories? I mean, apart from your Twitter thread, I would love to, you know, see a video of you, a two minute, three minute video of you where where you are telling a nice story. No, maybe at some point I have never actually done this. So, I mean, I, I really don't know. I've heard there are something called Instagram or women's stories. I don't know. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, people have been requesting me to take up, I mean, oh, get an Instagram account, apparently. Uh, I mean, these stories may fly, etc. I'm, I'm not really sure how to do it. But, yeah, definitely that's on the mind. Before we start into talking about a lot of uh, cricket topics that we have on our list. I have this important question I want to ask you because I know you have been vocal about it. It is about the farmers' protest in India and over the last few days uh, where prominent cricketers from India have voiced their opinion on Twitter, which I personally found disappointing. And I'm not sure if they are... You know, the opinions they expressed were their own. Maybe they were forced to tweet those opinions out. And I saw a lot of tweets from you uh, on not being so happy about it. See, one of the mistakes we often make is we find a lot of us have done this throughout our lives. We try to find idols based on what they, I mean, how gifted they are or what they achieve instead of who they are. So I think, uh, I don't know, maybe over the past few years, uh, I think I have evaluated a lot of my, what do you say, I won't say idols, but I will say heroes. Evaluation, ideally, that is of course a personal opinion should be done on who they are, what they think, how they act. That is, of course, as I say, my personal opinion. So I know a lot of a lot of people have hurt, have been hurt. A lot of people have tried to back their heroes. But yeah, I mean, I know why and how it hurt them. But I hope the fans, if they are hurt, they reevaluate their, they reevaluate why choosing their heroes. That's yeah. That's that's very that's very well said. Uh, all right. Enough uh, politics. Moving on to the cricketing topics. Are you still hungover from that high of India winning the Border Gavaskar Trophy? Yes, yes. That is not going to go away anytime soon. I don't know. See, I've been watching cricket for over three decades, and I've never seen anything like that. There's been no win in, in, in let alone India. I don't think there's been a greater win in the history of cricket. I mean, a greater turnaround than this. I I can't think of of a parallel. See, I know Australia were 36 all out in the 1902 Ashes, but it was a very low scoring Ashes. It wasn't anything like that. And England and Australia actually, I mean, it wasn't really a fight back for Australia. Australia had sealed the Ashes before the final test. The last test was historic, Jessop's innings and everything, but 
not comparable. I mean, the, I've come across someone who had said Australia had also been bowled out for 36 in the 1902 Ashes and still won the Ashes, but it's not the same because that was a particularly wet summer and 36 all out was not that bad in that summer. It is an aberration in 2020. So, yeah. I don't think there has been a parallel to this. So, for for a younger cricket fan like myself, who was born in 1992, the top three moments for somebody like me would be the T20 World Cup in 2007, the 2011 World Cup, ODI World Cup, obviously, and then after all that, write this series, the Border, the Border Gauskas series of 2020-2021. I mean, see, uh, you can always argue that India didn't have Kumble in 2001. India didn't have uh, anyone. Tendulkar, Kanguli, Dravid, everyone opted out in the 2007 World T20. But it was nothing like this. This was an entirely... I mean, only two people played, two Indians played through the entire series, Pujara and Dahane. That was how it was. That I mean, India didn't have a settled opening pair going into the third test. So, yeah, I mean, uh, their middle order was so badly hit that they had to push an opener to the middle order. And I mean, uh, people who were not considered, uh, not even in the consideration ahead of the squad or earlier this year, earlier in 2020, was suddenly suddenly emerged, not only played cricket, they played cricket across formats and emerged as heroes after the tournament. I mean, it is impossible to find one face out of that Indian side. Would it be apt for me to say that this series is right there on your list, like at the top, number one right now? And if I, if I may put you on the spot and ask you three top moments out of that series, there were a lot, like, I think every session had a moment where India were against the wall and some hero came out and you know like took out a rabbit out of the hat but for you if i have to put you on the spot which were the top three moments for you from that test series moments uh one would be see india not only i mean let alone the 36 all out india were fielded poorly in adelaide catches went down shaws was particularly bad but there were a few dropped catches at melbourne I think it was Wade, right? Wade played one uh, somewhere around mid-wicket. Jadeja and Gill were about to clash. Then uh, Jadeja sort of avoided the crash, avoided trampling Gill and came, came up with a very good catch. And after that, India did not drop, I think, I think India did not drop a single catch on that first day. Several wickets went down to catches. I mean, uh, Bumrah and Ashwin bowled particularly well, but several wickets went down to catches. Very good catches. And I, I think about five, four or five very good catches were taken in the game. The bowling was excellent. I think that Jadeja catch set up the test match for India on in the morning. Come, uh, Jadeja later chipped in uh, with the bat. It was not a decisive innings, but it was a very good supporting innings and he took out very cheap wickets. So, uh, the the three Jadeja moments, the wickets, the, but uh, I think the wickets, the runs, but what set it up was the catch. So, the one Melbourne wicket uh, moment was the catch. Sydney, uh, difficult to pick. Uh, has to be from the last partnership, the last three hours. Anything you can choose, any of the bounces that Ashwin would ideally have ducked if he had a, if he not, if he had he not had that back injury, but he could not duck. Or any one, any one ball where Vihari could have stretched his leg as much as he wanted to, but couldn't. But he still didn't let the wicket go. So, any of these moments, it's difficult to choose. Panth came out and uh, played some, uh, I mean, he played some outrageous shots. But I think he can choose any moment from that last stand. And um, the third one, the, during the chase, Panth stepped out. There was, there could have been a stumping 
pain missed or something and then a lot of us expected Pant to keep his head down but Pant went after Lion and then there was that typical I don't know I won't call it wide on drive because that's not how manuals teach you to play the on drive but hit sort of the back turns or something he uh, I don't know he does something it went through that area it was an it that six I think changed the entire mood and it was the very next ball of that miss stumping he didn't even wait another ball no the I have always been a Rishabh Pant fan. Um, I've been following him. His uh, big, his triple hundred. Uh, he broke the record for the fastest first class hundred by an Indian. IPL. I watched. Uh, it's very difficult to keep track of all IPL matches, but uh, typically, how how would I say this? Pant has turned me into. I typically support Rajasthan Royals. Pant is a major reason for Delhi becoming my second team. The entire the. I mean that has been a thing because I I really think Pant had Pant had played really well in England and Australia in 2018. Then he uh, had an okay okay outing in West Indies. He didn't get runs, but it didn't particularly fail. And then he got dropped in India, and then he was picked in New Zealand. So he like Bumrah he has rarely got the easy opportunities. But when he has been picked, it has always been, I mean, it, it has always been overseas and he, apart from the New Zealand series where everyone failed, Pant has never really failed. I mean, Pant gets viciously trolled for every failure, but that is mostly based on, that is mostly failures in limited overs cricket. I mean, it surprises me that he his batting abilities in test cricket overseas in major nations is put under scrutiny because he doesn't get runs in limited overs internationals that's not how it should work you know we uh, we had a couple of episodes on india australia test series and we had a debate of pant versus saha and then i read your tweet about you know why not pant and saha and I personally hadn't thought about it before that. And it really got me thinking, you know, actually what? That's a very fair point. Like, Pant is such a good batsman right now. He should play as a specialist batsman and have Saha keep the wickets. So, you did open my eye on that issue where, okay, the next time you go to England or you tour South Africa or New Zealand, have Saha and Pant both of the guys in the team. Pant? See, these issues will come up. Uh, Mayank Agarwal averages almost 100 at home. He missed this test. Because Shubman Gill has arrived and Rohit Sharma has a fantastic home average. KL Rahul is not even being considered here. 3-4-5 are, if we assume 3-4-5 are Pujara, Kohli and Rahane, there's already no space for Vihari. Yeah, you have to make Pant keep wickets. So basically, you are... Picking your top five, you're already leaving out two openers. You're leaving out Vihari and you're leaving out Saha. That is how good this team is. Team is. People keep telling that the bowling depth is unprecedented. That is true, but the but the batting depth is also unprecedented. They're probably the 2000s team had better top four five batting lineup that can be analyzed after these people end their careers. But if we also bring the reserve bench into account, I don't think the 2000s batch matches up to this. I mean, a Rohit Sharma or an Amayan Kagarwal at home would not have sat out. He would have played in 2003-04. Prithvi Shaw, he, his, he had one bad test. He actually had one failure. Until then, everything had worked for him. The, team, the quality of the team at the top is so high that even one failure is very difficult to entertain. I mean, that is how intense the competition is. Before before we conclude this segment about India-Australia Test Series, were you did you also predict a whitewash or Australia winning the Border Gavaskar Trophy? I predicted an Australia whitewash. Australia would win 4-0. 
I'm happy. I mean, I know a lot of people did. They rejected, but I'm not embarrassed to admit that I was completely wrong. If ahead of the test series, someone had told me that uh, India would win this series without Kohli, without their entire fast bowling unit, and was the end without Jadeja, I would have laughed at at their face. I can assure you this. Uh, talking about the India England series, as of now, when we are recording this episode. It's uh, stumps on day two of the first test match in Chennai and England are 5-5-5 five, five, five for eight. Uh, before we get into this test match, how happy were you with the squad and the playing 11 ahead of this test match? Playing 11, I don't think, uh, given the talent pool, I, I can't see how the selectors could have significantly improved on this. They would, they could have picked Mayank Agarwal, but for whom? I really don't know. It, it feels really bad to see Mayank Agarwal sitting out. It's a fantastic batsman, but who, who will he replace? I would have loved to see Ridhiman Saha, but then India would not be able to play five bowlers. If you play Saha, you have to leave out one. I mean, there is no obvious, uh, what, what do you say? It's the obvious thing that I would have wanted to change in this 11. I mean, uh, you can say Siraj for Shant, Shant is a senior man and he has been fantastic over the past few years. Kuldeep, uh, a lot of, I mean, see, what we have seen Kuldeep in the IPL was not very impressive. Even KKR knew that. And since then, we have seen him sporadically in Australia. But the ones who has really could seen Kuldeep bowl are the team management in the nets. And obviously, they have seen what none of us has have seen. They must have seen something. And after the Australia tour, I think we should have enough faith on the team management. They, they know whom to pick. Because I remember I just on the morning of the Brisbane test, a lot of eyebrows were raised when Kuldeep was left out. When some, I mean, when Sundar and Shardul were both picked, there were some, there were comments, but all of them came good. Had Sundar and Shardul not, both not played, India would probably not have won. So the management actually knows what they're doing. And they have on their CV this historic series behind them. Yeah, I think they should they should not be criticized if one or two of the selections do not seem uh, I mean do not tally with ours. Regarding regarding Shirat, I think uh, the fast bowlers will be rotated. The this is a four test series, and uh, after that, what uh, there'll be IPL, not to and then England tour. So, the fast bowlers will have to work hard, and for that, and there is an enormous, there is a very deep pool here. Uh, if I may ask you to predict this series' result and the winner, uh, after the Australia series, I'm really scared of predicting. I would say, I think England, India should win, but it won't be one-sided. Uh, something like a two-one. It's my prediction to one England will, I think England will get a test from somewhere. Uh, let's talk about the much, uh, you know, what you are kind of famous for, the Twitter threads you have and the stories uh, you write on Twitter. I, like, do you, do you have... What is your what is your process in writing a Twitter thread? Do you look at the stats first and then look at that personality and try to come up with a story, or do you look at like if you look at stats, do you see a story forming in front of you? No, it's not as complicated as that. I just check whether something important happened on Sunday, and this whatever I know, I just cross check once and write. I mean, I don't even think a lot. I don't plan threads ahead. Whatever knowledge I have, I just try to create, write them in threads. Had Twitter had no 
restriction on characters it could have been one I mean uh, the Kapil Dev thread for example right which uh, everybody talks about uh, the numbers were there in front of everybody but you know and you have said this before that somebody can twist another stat in there and they can add another line to it but just to come up with something like that every day i mean you almost have a new story every day in there and and maybe you think that's easy enough to do but to find stories in numbers if you have if you have someone like kapil dev can you can write a thousand stories kapil dev if you look at Kapil, I, I, I have said this before that but Kapil Dev is not talked about as much as some of the other things. That is something uh, I'm not very comfortable with. I don't think India has produced anyone like Kapil Dev. I mean, see, um, when we talk about all-rounders, we try to, we, we bring up Sobers or Kalis. Kalis took less than two wickets a test match. I think 165 tests, 1292 wickets or something like that. Sobers took more. But uh, the thing is, uh, Sobers is 8,000 runs and 200 wickets. This basically, basically makes him a batting all-rounder. So, uh, Sobers bowled, Sobers, uh, Sobers' bowling record is not, I mean, Sobers and Kalis would have, would, uh, Sobers would, is probably, uh, not probably, Sobers would ma make it to, an all-time world eleven on batting alone, but um, had Sobers not been a bowler, not been a batsman, it, he would have found it difficult to make it on bowling alone. The same holds for Callis. Uh, uh, there is a certain level of discomfort. I mean, if a batsman, if someone consistently doesn't bowl say in the top three or four and they, if he if that bowler is not among the best five in the team so uh, that probably reduces his workload that is one problem I have I mean Sobers and Callis will great I mean great will be an understatement they are legends Sobers is probably I mean if you take away Bradman Sobers is the greatest cricketer of all time there's no doubt about that but uh, I don't know how to put this, but Kapil has the most rounded career numbers. 5,000 runs and 400 wickets. So basically, 5,000 runs is what makes, uh, I mean, you say he's an excellent batsman. And he had at one point been the leading wicket taker in the world. So, so basically, he makes it on both counts. This is something you can say Imran had uh, made it. Imran was pro definitely a better cricketer than Kapil if you consider only batting and bowling. Imran was definitely the better batsman, more successful batsman. He also played for Pakistan as a specialist batsman. But then again, you have to add fielding to the mix. Imran also had the I mean, Imran could also afford to take gaps. Imran, Imran's career has gaps. Kapil did not miss a single test match due to injury. He was dropped. He was dropped once. Now, if you uh, compare to the other bits of, of the era, Botham. Botham's career took off better than almost anyone else's in history. But Botham's career tailed off after 1982. The last almost nearly a decade of Botham's career was pretty ordinary. It was an incredible first 5-6 years, then an ordinary decade. So, Botham's career tailed off towards the end. Hadley is different. Hadley is, was probably the greatest of these bowlers and the weakest of these batsmen, which again makes his career numbers less rounded than the others. And uh, then there were others. Um, the head in Imran's category can put Keith Miller and then earlier all-rounders. But the others really and of course Sean Pollock. Pollock is Pollock won't be too behind these people. Uh, my bias towards bowling all-rounders when it comes to discussing all-rounders is the amount of workload the, the person has to take. 
the amount, the sheer number of overs that person has to put in, and this holds more for fast bowlers. Callis did not bowl as many overs per match. He batted for longer hours, but we know fast bowling takes a greater toll. And the other thing about Kapil is his fielding. That is something. Uh, it is difficult to explain. Uh, even we, even when we see the great fielders of today, they are mostly specialists. Some of them can field in multiple positions. Kapil was a great outfielder. Uh, the one catch that is that we have seen many times from the 1983 World Cup final was. Actually, an easy catch by Kapil's standards. It was a crucial catch, but Kapil has taken more difficult catches. Kapil was a superb fielder in the circle, and Kapil towards the end of his career, not not towards the end, Kapil later became an excellent slip fielder. So yes, uh, one of the best fielders of the era. Remember, this was the era before fielding coaches. So yes, throughout the 1980s until Azhar came along, India had a few. Good fielders, one in the sink, Shivaram Krishnan. But until Azhar came along, Kapil was definitely India's best fielder as well, or best all-round fielder as well. So yes, I don't think Kapil Dev is as revered as he as as he should be. Maybe the 1983 film would change that. Hopefully, but uh, but again, that is something we say. This that is something we do. 1983. I mean, we think of Kapil Dev in terms of the World Cup. We, uh, when we discuss Kapil Dev and the World Cup, we remember that one seventy-five against Zimbabwe. Yeah. On this, on the same during the same World Cup, Kapil Dev also became the first Indian to take a five-wicket haul in no in a one-day international. In the same World Cup, Kapil Dev, Kapil finished as India's leading run scorer. I think. Uh, for three consecutive World Cups, he he finished with a strike rate of over hundred batting strike rate. So these are numbers we don't discuss. In uh, the same year, nineteen eighty-three, in a Test match against West Indies at Ahmedabad, Kapil bowled thirty overs and three balls, unchanged. He bowled throughout the West Indian innings, thirty overs, three balls, nine for eighty-three. So this is against the greatest team, one of the greatest batting lineups of all time. He bowled unchanged for one side. I don't, th- I, I don't remember any fast bowler doing that. Botham did that. Uh, Botham came close to that during the Jubilee Test, but uh, definitely not this long and not against a batting order this strong. And he didn't finish with nine wickets in an innings. Also, Kapil Dev's five sixes when he saved the follow-on. In that test, four sixes. Four sixes. Four sixes. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This maybe this is a good segue to talk about your book, right? I mean, you speaking about Kapil, so uh, it looks like Kapil is Kapil Dev is really dear to your heart. Uh, about your book, Sachin and Nazar at Cape Town. Why was the reason? What was the reason that you chose uh, this series to talk about and to write a book about? Not it? not. Not this series. This is about a partnership. The partnership. That's yeah. it. Th- three hours of cricket. India scored uh, Tendulkar and Azharuddin. India were bowled out for hundred and sixty-six. So one sixty-six across innings at Durban. At Cape Town, they were fifty-eight for five. That was when Azhar joined Tendulkar. South Africa had scored five twenty-nine before that. South Africa had a. Uh, Dangerous pace attack. Donald Pollock, McMillan, Kuzner, and they had Paul Adams. They are uh, nobody could have envisaged a counter attack like that. See, when rare guard actions happen, when rare guard acts happen, usually one batsman takes charge and the other provides a supporting role. But this here, the attack came from both ends. At some point, if you watch the innings on, if you watch the partnership on YouTube, hear Robin Jackman say he had never seen Test cricket like that. Honestly, such hitting from both ends over a period of forty overs, I have never seen anything like this in Test cricket against an attack like that and against these odds. What made it even more fantastic was Nelson Mandela was present. Uh, 
at lunch the team met Mandela. You'll see in Lakshman's book, he writes that as if to put up a show in front of Mandela, the two played this partnership. So it was everything made the occasion grand. Uh, scoring runs at that pace over a sustained period of time. And the other thing was there were discussions of strained relationships between the pair. Uh, whenever Azruddin fails, critics seem to bring up points like he has, uh, he doesn't have the technique again to handle pace and um, this has come up time and again. But here, he came out to bat at Eden Gardens first. Eden Gardens, he got hit. He came out after the fall of the seventh wicket. Earlier that year, India had lost in the World Cup semi-final. There was uh, the Eden Gardens. They had been crowd unrest. Azhar would booed at Eden Gardens. Azhar had an excellent record at Eden Gardens. He was booed there. He returned to the Eden Gardens to play the test. India was seven down. He, he got hit and he returned after India was seven down to join Kumble at the other end. And then he scored the fastest hundred in history at that point. A fastest hundred by an Indian at that point. So, and when he, when the, the crowd went ballistic because they, they had never seen such batting in test cricket. And when he reached that hundred, they clapped, they stood up on their feet and Azhar didn't raise his bat, he didn't take his helmet off. So he was there, he was, uh, I, I mean, it was an angry Azhar and the batting was completely different. The next test, Azhar got another hundred at Kanpur. So Azhar had sort of answered his critics. Durban, the entire Indian team failed. Tendulkar was being criticized. Tendulkar was a new captain, yet still not got that one big defining score. Now here both of them had to answer their critics. And both of them also had to counter uh, media reports that the relationship between the two was strained. I don't know how, to, how much of that was true, but there were reports. So this was... and. A pace attack like that and 166 in the previous test, 58 for 5 here and a big total and Newlands was not an easy pitch to bat on. So all of this was stacked against them and then they produced innings of this quality, a partnership of this quality. I think again Robin Jackman said at some point if they bat till stumps they'll get 800 by stumps. That was what the batting was like. And Azhar was absolutely, Tendulkar was more correct. Tendulkar was more believable, his shots. Azhar was, the way Azhar was batting on that day was completely out of the world. He was not simply refusing to care. Azhar just didn't care. Towards the end of the innings, he, uh, Donald bounced at him and he played a shot. I don't know how to describe it. You can see it on YouTube towards the end. Uh, of his innings, it was as if he didn't consider Donald a bowler. Donald's expression was he had given up. I've never seen Donald's expression like that. I, I, I've never seen batting of that quality from both ends. Tendulkar was correct at the other end, classical stroke play, and Azhar was Azhar was going ballistic. So yes, this book needed to be written, but that is just the cricketing aspect of it. India and South Africa were both growing as nations. India had just roughly around the same time South Africa won the battle against apartheid and Indian India opened up its economy to the world. So both were going through early stages of a, I won't say development, but a new development. Both were embracing new eras. So yes, and uh, we know about India-South Africa connection. India had settled down. Indians had settled down in South Africa in, since the 1860s. Gandhi went there. We know these. And uh, in, 19, in the early 1920s, a group of South African Indians toured India decades before Clive Rice's Rice team. So yes, South Africans have kept South Africa and India Ha, are more closely related than we think. And in the 90s, they grew together. The test series between South Africa and India is the only test series which is named 
after two people who were not cricketers. The relationship between the two countries is runs deeper than the cricketing relationship. It's it's really sad, right? When Australia pulled out of the South African series right now, when the smaller cricketing nations need that revenue stream. These are desperate situations. I mean, I really don't know how whether to. I mean, the conditions must be really, really bad. I hope things are back to normal in a few months' time, and normal sporting events resume, not on empty grounds, not behind closed doors, the way it used to be. Now, the worst thing I miss is children going out to play in parks. That was the thing I really missed. Because they didn't have any incentive but to just play for fun. With with this book, was it you who went to uh, Mr. Sen Gupta? Or? No, no, we are we are old acquaintances. We he uh, he and I both used to write for Cricket Country. So uh, he was the senior columnist when I used to be the editor. So we have been interacting for years, almost a decade, I think. And before that, we went to the same university. He was my senior. But yes, we have been communicating. We had been toying with this idea of writing a book on this partnership because had this partnership happened between two Australians or more importantly Englishmen, they have a better sense of archiving their, uh, I mean, archiving their achievements. This in this partnership happened roughly at the same time as Atherton's one eighty five. The English media has done a wonderful job of archiving that innings, that Atherton innings, that Atherton-Russell partnership. Not much has been written about this Azhar-Tendulkar partnership. So yes, I suppose there would have been a book. I mean, when Middlesex won the, I mean, Yorkshire won it on two consecutive occasions, then Middlesex won, I think it was 2017-18. Yeah, when Middlesex won it, there was a, race among who would write the first book on that final day of the season. So yes, that is how achievements are chronicled, especially in England. Uh, in English cricket, we do criticize, we tend to do a lot of things. Uh, the media, we often criticize, but it cannot be denied that they have done a better job of archiving their past they have they celebrate their history way better than most other countries. Oh, and this is a partnership in a destinies. There, there have been numerous such incidents in Indian domestic cricket, numerous acts of heroism, great partnerships, great spells, great test matches, but not, but very little documentation on them. Even if there is a book, it's it will be very difficult to find. You have to run to a library or. Ch- I mean, if you're lucky, you get it on in a street check bookshop. But that's the best. Should we should we expect a book out of you on the Indian-Australian border Oscar series in 2020-21? Ashwin has done more than any writer could have could have at this point. He has uh, he, story, yes, right? yes, absolutely. It's a fantastic series to watch. If no book is written on this achievement, I hope. The cricketers keep continuing making the, these videos. At least some sort of archiving will be done. Some sort of... Uh, see, these videos, we will like them now. We may watch them a couple of times more. But 20 years down the line, a person who... A new cricket fan will look at this video and, and then cross-check with the scorecards and then maybe watch the day's highlights and figure out exactly what had happened. So... The significance of these videos or any archiving, any archive will be really understood maybe at least a decade or maybe two down the line. How crucial the work Ashwin has done. Since everybody has been talking about test cricket for past uh, couple of months now and after witnessing this uh, historic test series win, I wanted to, so whenever I speak with a cricket expert or somebody who knows a lot about cricket, I always ask this question where, where is the world cricket going right now? I mean, one series like this, is that enough to save test cricket? 50 years down the line, what do you see happening with the world cricket? Are we going to see 
clubs happening like the football clubs or do you think cricket will still remain a country origin sport rather than a club dominated sport one thing i can assure you that test cricket is going to stay i've been hearing this test cricket will die since my childhood uh from people of older generations this test cricket will die but when i asked them they also told me that they had heard test cricket will die from their childhood since their childhood so, so this test cricket will die is probably a century old thing and it has shown no sign of dying out i can't see test cricket dying out anytime soon not least in, not at least in 50 years now regarding the shorter formats see i one of the reasons i like cricket is its this bizarre nature that uh, t20 gets the money test cricket remains the classical format and the odi world cup remains the highest glory so all three formats exist all three are watched depending on whether the favorite team is doing well and all in the glory in all three is revered i can't see any of these dying out anytime soon maybe the balance will change maybe the test is test to odi balance will change odi is maybe played less what i can see happening is bilateral t20 series going away that may happen the t20 format the future of that may be in the franchise in franchise cricket the odi is will have a world cup t20 world cup west indies are still defending champions yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah t20 world cup it has not really caught on you know uh we tend to remember the 50 over world cups more detailed yeah, i mean in a more detailed way t20 world cup despite the shorter format despite it's being i mean despite it being more attractive in nature it's supposed to be more attractive but they are not remembered as much on the other hand we must remember that t20 is cricket's gateway to associate nations so i mean i don't know and if franchise cricket kills of t20 internationals that is one area that may be hurt but then again i can see as as we can see a lot of nepal and scotland cricketers have signed up for ipl that is what i last saw i think i had a cursory glance so yes the associate nation cricketers may you be may see more and more of them in the franchises i simply hope that international cricket doesn't die out for them t20 is very important for cricket to spread so yes in the long but in the long run i can see franchise cricket taking over the t20 or just encroach into the one day share of it test cricket is not good england are playing what 17 tests this year so it's not good so a lot of people had this uh you know this this reason for franchise cricket is in a country of 1.3 billion people you just have 11 playing spots and that's why franchise cricket should go ahead so cricket uh, explodes around the globe but i think with this test series in australia i think shouldn't it be a good option to have like a uh, india a b and c side and have those for all the cricketing nations and you know promote those series as well i don't know whether icc will approve an india a i mean as a separate uh, uh, it's very unlikely but it doesn't need to happen that way i mean see an emerging nation can always play india a in a bilateral series in 94 when england were at an all time low and zimbabwe was still a new test playing nation so australia arranged a uh, a four nation tournament a four team tournament so they had australia australia a england and zimbabwe and australia and australia a played in the final so that was it and australia and australian a kept swapping players throughout the tournament so yes that is one way the thing can go i mean you can always have india india a and a couple of other sides playing in the same tournament india have india are doing that 
they're playing India A as preparation for the England tour. But yeah, India, the matches need not get test match titles. The matches can still be four day or five day matches. That, uh, I mean, there's no harm, there's, there's no restriction on that. India A, uh, India A as a team can participate in, say, I mean, there can be a special agreement. See, England second team, Bangladesh second team, I mean, some second team. BCCI had a wonderful idea towards the, around 2000, 2001, 2002. They asked England A to play the Dalit Trophy as a team. So if that can happen, India A can always play as a domestic side in another country. On to our last segment. So I was listening to this podcast with uh, Bharat, Bharat Sundaresan's podcast on Gavru Kapoor and Bharat said that he doesn't really get awed by a cricketer. He gets awed by their performances. But if he comes across a cricketer in real life, he doesn't really uh, get awed by their personalities. He just thinks they are, you know, uh, like any other human beings. Is that the similar case with you? Like tomorrow, if I see an MS Dhoni <laughs> somewhere, I would completely freeze, right? Like I would, I would try to control my emotions, but it would be a pretty emotional moment for me. How are you as a person when it comes to cricketers? Uh, very difficult to answer, but uh, yes, as a journalist, when you're out to interview someone, uh, restraining emotions is the first step. You can, you cannot afford to go overboard with your questions. At the same time, um, I mean, you cannot make it about yourself as well. So, yeah, I mean, I know it can be overwhelming. Say, meeting, I mean, meeting someone, uh, meeting an all-time great like a Murlitharan tomorrow in person will be obviously an overwhelming moment. The end of the day, if I have to interview him, I have to interview him. So, my 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 follow up question to that question: If you are deserted on an island and you have three cricketing personalities to choose from, they can be commentators, journalists, or actual cricketers. Who would uh, who are the three people you would choose to be stranded on a island for your life? I don't really know how to answer this because. A great cricketer doesn't necessarily make a great talker and the other way around as well. I don't know. Maybe someone with... Okay. One will be Jimmy Nishan. <laughs> He's really funny. That's true. <laughs> one will be Wasim Jafar. I have to have fun conversations. And... Okay. Ian Bishop. Uh, why Ian Bishop? I... Heard Harsha say this during Tendulkar's, but later he was reminiscing Tendulkar's last innings. And Harsha mentioned that Bishop just passed him the mic, saying, This is your moment. So, we have seen, I mean, there's someone I have tremendous respect for. I have we have not really got to see in India before cable TV. We have never really got to see much of Bishop the bowler. But the more I came to learn of Bishop the person, the more I listened to him on TV. I I think uh, I can spend hours talking to that person. All right. I guess that was all on this week's episode of Podcast Panchayat. But before we let you go, Abhishek, I have a request on a story like you know, uh, like you did on 22 Yarns with Gavro Kapoor, that podcast. If you guys haven't uh, checked out yet, please, please, please do check out that episode uh, with Abhishek where he takes you through some amazing cricket tales. Uh, so to end this week's episode, do you have a nice story for us? Okay, what kind of story? Personally, I'm an MSD fan. Do you have an MSD story? Nothing Bharat Sundarisan didn't write about. That's that's true as yeah. well. Any story that comes to your mind, you know, you you pick. I'm pretty sure whatever you say is going to be fascinating. Uh, you know, maybe an underdog story, just because we witnessed a series where India were the underdogs and we came out 
you know, with flying colors. Maybe another underdog story. Um, Argentina beat England in 1926. I didn't know Argentina had a cricket team. Argentina have a very good cricket team. Argentina yeah. used to have. Yeah, they are the best South African, South American cricket side. They've been for ages. I mean, if you take Guyana away, Argentina have a long history of playing cricket. And uh, probably older than some of the nations that play. I mean, Argentina's cricket history is not very younger than, say, Australia's. Maybe a few decades here and there. No, not Australia's, but yeah, say South Africa's. Argentina, okay, something on Argentina beat a strong England side in around 1926. And, uh, but Argentina's, in the 1860s, I think, there was a war. And Argentine, the Argentine was so desperate to play cricket that they crossed, the, they crossed, they took a detour around the enemy lines. Because the enemy lines came in the way between them and the cricket ground. So they detour, took a detour around the enemy's enemy lines and they somehow they reached the pitch and found a dead horse on the, around the pitch. So and they ignored the horse and kept playing. So yeah, the Argentines were desperate cricketers. They were very keen cricketers. Unfortunately, that passion is gone. I, I think they are coming back, they are playing some decent T20. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Abhishek, so much for taking out the time and speaking with uh, us uh, on this week's episode. Guys, please, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm uh, requesting you all to again listen to Abhishek's uh, podcast uh, episode with Gaurav Kapoor on 22 Yarns, wherein he, uh, he has told three of the most interesting stories I've ever heard. Secondly, please do follow him on Twitter. You would read one of the most amazing stories every day in cricket history. He literally puts out a new, uh, you know, story thread every day. And thirdly, please do check out his book, Sachin and Nazar in Cape Town. Again, thank you. Thank you, Abhishek, for taking up the time and speaking with us. It was uh, a pleasure. Same here. Hi, I'm an observer and you're listening to Panchayat. Now this is a podcast where we discuss world affairs, TV shows, movies, cricket, history, life, relationships and common sense, I guess. Join me on Panchayat every Saturday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor or wherever you get your podcast from.